Buckle up, because Metro is bringing you the best deal in wireless. Switch to Metro and get your choice of two awesome free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens and tons of memory for all your pics and videos. So hurry into Metro and get your awesome free phones only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Welcome back to Midwest Mind Melt. I'm Jason. I'm Josh. And today in the studio with us, we have a guest, uh, Ridge, who has law enforcement experience in the state of Nebraska. So we're going to ask him some questions and kind of probe his uh, knowledge on technology and how it's assisted law enforcement uh, in their day-to-day duties and just have him kind of chime in on his opinions about technology. So uh, how's everybody doing tonight? I'm not doing too bad, Jason. Ridge, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Josh. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no problem, man. So um, I guess one of the first... uh, First things I want to know, or I guess I want to ask is, uh, have have you seen any like crazy technological advances in the equipment that you guys use from day to day? I guess uh, one of the biggest things that I've noticed, and I don't know about uh, in your experience, is uh, body cams. Uh, have those assisted and made things easier for you guys? Uh, you know, with anything, that, any suspects or any uh, things that you guys have to do? Well, the big thing, especially with body cameras. Um, Law enforcement, it, it's one of the branches of public service, just like your firefighter, just like your, your EMS, and et cetera. And, and we're always going to be in the public eye. And the, the, the current climate is very against law enforcement. Um, you, you're seeing it on the national level. You're seeing it, you know, especially on the West Coast, on the local levels. You know, Port, Portland's a mess right now. Body cams only stand to benefit officers in the long run. Um, you know, we can refer to them back for report writing. Um, it tends to cover, cover our asses for lack of a better term. Um, when it comes to, you know, contacts with the public, especially if we're accused of misconduct, it's, it's a huge tool that we have. Um, it helps with, do- you know, documentation is the biggest thing. We can use it for documentation. We can refer back to it. And, and quite frankly, uh, it, officers that don't want to wear body cameras, you probably have something to hide. And so if you're unwilling to do that, we probably need to look at the root causes of why. So I've seen uh, videos, and obviously YouTube's a great thing for this, where uh, officers, are, officers will, like, turn their body cams off. Like, um, would you say that, that that in itself causes a big issue for you guys just, like, uh, with your, like, not not for you in general, but just as an officer, like you said, if, if you know, they're not wearing them or, or they're doing things like that, should, should they really be in a position to serve the general public? Um, generally if somebody's turning their body cameras off, there's usually a, a, a disciplinary repercussion for that, whether it be a policy violation, um, generally administration will frown upon that. Um, there, there might be certain times I haven't run across any, but there might be certain times where, um, if you're interviewing a, a, a subject that's sensitive or something like that, um, you might go away from the body cameras in lieu of a more traditional, uh, method of recording that and that that could be for a multitude of reasons confidentiality etc internal affairs would be another one um just situations like that you're going to want to keep yourself um you know covered but but there are times where, where it would be inappropriate but generally that that has a sign off way way above uh your your standard line officer's head that's generally going to be more administrative move have you uh have you run into any situations where technology has actually made your job harder um not I guess not really made my job more difficult. It's there's been situations where I've definitely had to be more aware of what I'm doing. Um, you know, obviously, you know, look, look 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 at these recordings that you're seeing now that are cropping up on YouTube about you know law enforcement agents that are you know go, going about things the wrong way or something, and and they, there's this video taken by the public that looks bad. Well, it, it's not so much me in general, but when you have a video that comes across like that that doesn't catch the entire story. Or catch the tail half of an incident. Um, it, it, it tends to just look bad on law enforcement in general. So, for an example, you can have a video of a police officer uses a straight arm bar takedown and throws a seventy-year-old woman on her face. Now, it looks bad in that context. But what led up to that? There, there's so many more things that lead up to that incident. There could be weapons involved. There could be, you know, assaults. There could be any number of things that have led up to that incident that has caused that officer to use that amount of force that he felt was appropriate 
And when you don't tell the whole story, you're open to misinterpretation and, and you know, false criticisms. So, in your opinion, would you say that that might have been one of the issues with the Freddie Gray incident uh, back a few years ago, uh, where they didn't have the entire story of what happened, and obviously those those officers were placed under administrative leave, but... Um, so in a situation like that, that's where technology would benefit you guys. Absolutely. I guess um, I, I kind of want to step back a little bit and ask you, uh, you personally, what was one of your reasons for uh, wanting to get into law enforcement? Um, <laughs> I, I chuckle because most people want to give you know the, the, the academy answer. I want to protect and serve. I want to make my community better. Um, when I interviewed for my position, I told the agency that I was interviewing, they asked me, you know, that was the last question I interviewed, why do you want to be a cop? And I, th- I thought about, you know, the, the poster boy, the academy answer, and, and that's just not me. They asked why I want to be a cop, I said I want to put bad people behind bars. I want to put dirtbags behind bars. Right. Because you can make your community safer, you can do all those things, but at the end of the day, you're putting bad people behind bars, and that's why I chose to do what I want to do. That's a pretty solid answer, I think. But uh, I guess getting back to technology, would you say that officers today have an easier or harder time than officers back before dash cams, before the cameras were put on them? You know, we're talking previous generations, previous decades. Would you think officers back then had it easier or think they have it easier today? In some aspects, they have it easier, and in some aspects, it's more difficult. Um, you know, take, take, for example, in the 60s. The 60s was a different time. The, the, the country generally had law enforcement's back. Um, but also in the 60s, there were a lot of policies that, that were very crippling to officers. And now I'll use an example. California Highway Patrol back in the 60s had a very, very good public view. They were, they were very, very well seen by the community. And it, it ultimately ended in a lot of problems for California Highway Patrol. I don't know if either one of you are familiar with the Newhall shooting. The Newhall shooting was in the 60s um, or 70s, late 60s, early 70s. But the Newhall shooting um, stems back to a policy that California Highway Patrol and a lot of California agencies had where um, they were not allowing officers to use the amount of force necessary. In the 60s and 70s, most law enforcement agents in California did not carry a backup shotgun in their car. The shotgun can be a very useful tool in law enforcement. Um, And when they did finally implement them, they were sealed, they were left with unloaded chambers, and any time that seal was broken, you immediately had a meeting with your supervisor, who then had to write a report. So there there was a culture against using force. Now, in the new hall... In the Newhall incident, there were uh, multiple officers shot and killed because they did not use force at the time that they should have. And, and there, were, there was a technological aspect of that, too. They were using six-shot revolvers. Um, and we, we, we've obviously moved on to, you know, the, the, the semi-automatics, your Glocks, your Smith & Wesson, your Six Hours. Mm-hmm. And that played partway into it. But the culture against law enforcement now is the advantage that the old law enforcement agents had. They didn't have the negative public eye that we do. Now, as far as the new officers and the way that that they're looked on, they they do have that negative public image, which makes the job more difficult. However, we have body cams, we have dash cameras, we have, you know, audio recorders, we have, you know, PBT machines. We, we have so many more tools at our disposal that helps us do our jobs more effectively. It helps us document our jobs better so we can write better reports and make sure the facts are conveyed accurately. Because you can have all the facts you want, but if, you, if you're misrepresenting those facts, you're, it's, it, it's, it's another deception tactic that I, I'm personally against. You, you want to document your incidents accurately, and that's the big thing, is people don't think that law enforcement will report incidents accurately. That's where part of the distrust comes from. You know, oh, you know, the guy had a gun, the guy had a gun, and it turns out he did, or he didn't have a gun, and he did, and, and that's where, you know, a lot of the scrutiny comes in. Yeah, me and Josh had talked about that in an earlier episode of a podcast where we talked about uh, the, the recent mass shootings and... One of the biggest one was uh, the Vegas shooting where uh, things weren't accurately reported. But uh, sticking to a note about the the shooting you were just talking about, um, do you think if more people knew 
or educated themselves. And me and Josh talk a lot about education on, on our podcast, but do you think that if people educated themselves a little more on uh, on shootings like that, obviously officers died because they didn't use force, people would, would be a little more, wouldn't have such a negative view of law enforcement today because they would understand that there's a reason why that escalation of force took place and why those principles were implemented. Do you think that that would change any kind of view in the public size at all? Well, I I think it would if the public was receptive to that kind of education. Um, you know, well, Josh, I don't know, the, the, does the audience know about your former career? Yes, uh, they know about my former corrections. And okay. just for you, though, for those of you who are not aware, me and uh, Ridge actually met uh, working at the state penitentiary. So uh, just so you all know. Um, most of the public is, is, they're generally uneducated when it comes to use of force um, by law enforcement and corrections, how it's implemented, why it's implemented, and what situations can constitute a use of force. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, and that's that's part of the problem. Um, there's, an, there's an article on Police One, and I think everybody, um, you know, whether or not you want to be in law enforcement should read it, and it's called The Ten, uh, the Ten Deadly Mistakes, I think is what it is. It's on Police One. Um, website, which is a great, great tool for law enforcement. It talks a lot about policy. It talks a lot about training. Um, I highly encourage anybody. I'm not getting paid to say this. It's just a tool that I use. Um, but there's, it, it talks about 10, basically 10 very big mistakes that you can make as a law enforcement agent that can lose you your life. It was actually written by an officer who, a law enforcement officer who, who the way he worded this is, I've been to too many law enforcement funerals. Um, so, and and one of those, you know, it, it's you know, it talks about situational awareness. Watch their hands. You know, know know the person you're talking to. Know how to communicate with them. There's a lot that goes into it, and I think the general public doesn't understand. If you approach somebody, if you if you let's say you're sent on a call for a domestic dispute, very very common call to be sent on is a domestic dispute. Generally, there has been an assault on one side or both sides. Um, many times there can be a weapon involved. Um, most of your law enforcement agents get killed on domestic disturbances. It's, 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 a, it's a death trap. Um, you don't know what you're going into. If, you, if, you've, if you've got a call of you know yelling, screaming from a house, generally your 911 calls are not very clear. They're not conveying the information that you need to. Um, so you go to that situation, and all of a sudden you have a guy who's very angry, who thinks he might be going to jail, and you can't see his hands. You're in a very bad position. If you can't see his hands, you don't know what's in his hands. Um, and that's that's kind of where you know you you'll see a lot of these things where they you know they he shot an unarmed man. He shot an unarmed man. Well, he didn't know that at the time. Most people don't understand that you can armchair quarterback a use of force, whether it be deadly force or less lethal force. You can armchair quarterback that all day long, but you have to look at what the what information did the officer have at the time of the incident? What did they see? What did they observe? What did they hear? You you won't know. And that's again that's where the body cam footage has come from. If 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 you're approaching an an individual and you can't see his hands and they're behind his back, you you don't know what's in his hands. If he makes a quick reach for his waistband. Most people carry their concealed weapons legally or illegally on their waistband. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, things that go into that that I, I think the public they don't I don't know if they don't understand, but it, it's it's a situational awareness thing that not everybody possesses. I, and I, would, I would definitely say that they don't understand mm -hmm. ultimately. Well, how you know how many times did you get nervous when we worked at the pen when you didn't see an inmate's hands, especially a known troublemaker? Oh yeah, I I can't even tell you how many times. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I agree. And to add on to Jason's question, I guess I want to ask you. There's been a lot of movies centered around cops, you know. So obviously Hollywood is very interested in law enforcement, and I just want to get your take on. Do you think these characters that they uh, portray do you think this has had a positive or a negative impact on law enforcement well it it depends on the character i mean if you have a, a renegade rogue cop that's playing by his own rules i mean it makes for a hell of a good movie but does it accurately portray the job and the people that are doing it on a day-to-day -day basis absolutely not now and that's what i was going to say because it seems like every because movies that come to mind right away street kings the departed mm -hmm. i mean these movies always portray 
crooked cops. So you're always seeing, you know, cops as the bad guy in a lot of these movies. But then when you get movies where the cop is the hero, it's always something that just wouldn't work out in real life because it is a cop that goes rogue, one that plays by his own rules and doesn't do things by the book. And it's it's just to me it just tells me that like if a rookie went in there and did that, it would just be disastrous for them. It would be career suicide. Absolutely. If a rookie walks in and and plays you know, Mel Gibson from Lethal Weapon, they're going to walk his ass out. <laughs> if he's lucky, he's going to be carrying a box of his stuff. If he's unlucky, he's going to be walked out in handcuffs. Or uh, John McClane from Die Hard. Yeah. Absolutely. You you can't have a renegade cop going nuts and just, sh- you know, shooting bad guys, guns blazing. That's that's not police work. That's no, not the and, way it works. And that's where that uh, that fail, that failure of education, whether it be self-education or just, uh, just even general knowledge... Um, <laughs> fails us as a, as a society. Um, if, if people, there's a lot of people who, who get that, that disgust taste in their mouth, uh, where law enforcement, I'm, I'm a huge live PD mm. fan. I watch a lot of live PD. Um, and there's, and there's certain things like that, that I see happen that I just, I, I don't know how I could do it. Like being in that situation, seeing the way that people respond just because a cop, uh, you know, a police officer, you know, is scared, is not necessarily scared, but he's watching for himself. There was, uh, in fact, uh, one, one that comes to mind last night, uh, they pulled over a guy. He was in front of his house, um, but he had his music up too loud, and the cop yelled at him for five minutes to open the door and get out of the vehicle, and he just sat there. And so finally when backup showed up, they drug him out, they handcuffed him, they did what they had to do, and then um, he was all upset about it because they made a big deal about it. But the thing is, is like you said, you don't, they, you, you don't know what they have. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you, you walk up to a window, and for all you know, they got a shotgun sitting in their lap, and they're, you know. It, if I may tell a story. So I had an incident. I had an individual who um, he was speeding down the road. Um, I was traveling the opposite direction. I activated my radar. He was traveling well over the posted speed limit. I turned around on this individual, activated my overhead lights, you know, made myself visible, and conducted a traffic stop. No sooner had I put my vehicle in park, notified dispatch on the radio that I was on a traffic stop, this individual had opened his driver's side door and got out and started walking towards me. Now... Most people wouldn't think that's a big deal. Now, understand, I'm in a marked cruiser, overhead lights. Everybody knows that I'm a law enforcement agent. They know what I'm doing. Now, normal procedure for us at that point is felony stop procedures at that point. You do not know what that individual is doing. I held that individual with my service weapon. I called for backup. I had that backup come. That individual was placed in restraints. He was eventually released, but... He stopped and he's he freaked out when I I had to point my sidearm at him. He freaked out and I said, "What are you doing?" You know, when I finally had gotten up to him, he told me, "Oh, I thought I had a tail light out." And that's why he pulled me over. So I stopped to check. Don't, folks, if you're listening, don't don't get out of your car during a traffic stop, please. That looks bad because one time he's getting out and he's checking his tail light. The next time he's got his trunk popped and he's grabbing he's grabbing an AR or he's grabbing an AK or he's hell he's grabbing a shotgun it doesn't matter don't do that and another another thing while we're on that subject you're gonna make a cop a lot more nervous if you're moving around in your cabin a lot if I see you moving around opening your center console stuff like that you might be looking for your license and your registration stuff and that's fine but it it makes me nervous it makes everybody nervous. A lot of people forget that behind the badge is we're just people. We want to go home to our family. We want to go home to our our friends, our pets. Mm-hmm. Um, don't 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 do anything to you know startle somebody. And and I don't mean to say that as law enforcement agents are easily startled. We we deal with a lot of different things, but it, it, it's misunderstandings in situations like that 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 cause a lot of these problems. Um, you know, look at the incident where, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was shot reaching for his wallet where he had his concealed weapon. He was shot in the passenger side of the vehicle. You guys remember what the situation I'm talking about. Um, you know, that was a misunderstanding that, that, that ended, unfortunately ended, ended in a loss of life. Um, it's, it's stuff like that. You, you gotta be careful, you know? So another question I have is, uh, do you feel like technology and the use of social media being having social media at our hands because I'm pretty sure we're all old enough to remember when MySpace was a thing and when Facebook first started and when Instagram was a thing and Snapchat. Do you feel like the use of social media uh, at, at at our hands with technology has made it harder and not necessarily harder but harder on you guys but easier for people to um, do illegal things? Um, 
whether it be obtaining drugs or um, big thing is like uh, underage uh, sex stuff like that. Do you feel like that like like technology's kind of made your guys your guys's jobs harder in that aspect? Well, that, that that that's kind of a tough question because you know in the time before social media there there were there were still crime there were still a lot you know lots of it and everything. Has it made it the distribution, you know, of drugs, you know, and stuff like that easier? Sure, absolutely. You know, it's easier to network with somebody, you know, especially if you, if you live in a, a, you know, a big mid, Midwestern city like St. Louis, Kansas City, you know, Chicago, any any, any towns like that, you know, that you could very well live in Chicago your entire life, and there will be people that live down the street from you that you'll never meet. But with the use of social media, you can network with somebody clear across town. However, the digital footprint that you leave behind also makes it easier to track those people down, catch that kind of stuff. So, so it's a double-edged sword in, in that respect, and and that's why you know a, a technological background for anybody who's wanting to get into law enforcement, a technological background always stands to serve you better, especially if you want to work on on the state or federal law enforcement level. You know, that's a lot of it. You know, anything that crosses state lines is federal jurisdiction, and a lot of that's going to be through, you know, your digital footprint. So, absolutely, it, it's it's made things easier, but it's also made things more difficult. It's just, it, it, it's helped crime evolve, but it's also helped law enforcement evolve with it. So, really, as the times changed, it's really, just everybody's changed, so there really hasn't been a big uh, big effect either way. Essentially. No, no, it's it's, you know, it's not like, you know, the prohibition times when... Law enforcement agents were carrying Colt, you know, Colt police positives, and and you know the Al Capone crew was carrying, you know, Thompson submachine guns. It, it's not that kind of disadvantage anymore. You know, law enforcement has evolved with the times, and it will continue to evolve. I was gonna say because I mean I've heard a lot of cases where people, because they posted incriminating things on social media, and their location gave them up. And so I've heard of, you know, officers were able to find them based on their location from their Facebook status. Well, I mean, so. To, to be candid, criminals are not the smartest people out there. If they oh, were, most, they wouldn't be caught. Yeah, most of them are not. I learned that in corrections. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, oh, go ahead, Josh. No, you go ahead, Jason. So, um, just just to touch on a, on a, in your experience, because me and Josh talked uh, the drug the drug epidemic, um, uh, a couple episodes back, and we were talking. We kind of talked about how the Midwest kind of works as a central hub for the United States. In your experience, how often do you run into drugs when you know when you're dealing with you know even just a traffic stop? Well, it it's it's hit or miss. I mean, there there are nights you know that I've worked where I've you know made contact with three or four people that have had stuff on them, and then I've gone a week without making contact with anybody that did. It's it's really hit or miss. Um, there's a couple of older guys in the department that I work on. They can pick a car out from a mile away, you know, I, and I just don't have that kind of experience. Those old guys, they, they've been doing this job a long time. Um, but, I mean, you, you, you see a lot, of, a lot of stuff that, you know, rolls through the Midwest. There was actually a law enforcement agent from Nebraska. He's a Nebraska State Patrol uh, trooper, Sam Mortensen. He grew up down in western Nebraska. And uh, he was recently uh, honored by President Donald Trump um, for the largest fentanyl bust in the United States on Interstate 80 rolling through the middle of Nebraska. He found enough, I think the, the way that they had described it was enough fentanyl to kill a quarter million people. That's ridiculous. And And so, you know, you can have one of those days or, you know, it can be... You know, traffic stops and registration tickets all day long. You know, it's just, it's really hit or miss. And that's why I love law enforcement. It's its never the same thing twice. And at the end of the day, it's not about getting the, the most recognition for what you do. It's mm-hmm. about doing what you love and enjoying what you do. Yeah. Um, Sam probably saved a lot of people's lives by pulling that fentanyl off the road. Absolutely. You know, that there there's a ripple effect to law enforcement. A lot of people don't want to see that side of it. They just want to look at cops as the bad guys. So, uh... There was a post going around Facebook. Uh, I, I, ever since we started doing the podcast, I've kind of been trolling social media a little more to get topics to talk about. And uh, I was I was really curious, but uh, apparently there's a protest for the... Uh, obviously, you heard about the shooting in Philadelphia uh, where six cops got injured. Um, as far as I... As the last thing I heard, none of them, none of them died. So uh, that's awesome. We love to hear that. Um, but 
Uh, what's your take on, on on a situation like that? Well, to be honest, I, I've heard about the incident, but I haven't looked at it very much. And, you know, there, there's so many facts that haven't come out. But what I can say is, given the information that I have now, we have an individual who is a known felon, who has known violent tendencies, fired on officers and injured six of them. And we have people that are going to go to, you know, they're, they're organizing this protest or this rally in defense of this individual. Now, personally, I think that's, I think that's crap. I think people are smarter than that. Yeah. But, oh, sorry. Well, they, the, the post had kind of talked about, and it was just, it was just a small post from a friend that I know and that lives in uh, Philadelphia, actually, that it was only going to be two or 300 people. Now, Philadelphia is one of the, the people don't, know this or but it actually there's there's a lot of crime in philadelphia it's probably one of the one of the bigger crime town or cities in, in the united states and i think that the general public needs to realize that trying to defend somebody who like you said at the end of the day behind the badge you guys are all people you know and you want to go home to your families too and it kind of it, it kind of makes makes you wonder uh why somebody would go to that extreme and do something so heinous and then you got and then he has people that are defending him because of the way that the police handled that situation. How, how, how else would you have expected that situation to be handled? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, nobody, including the suspect, died. I mean, that, that's the big protest is that, you know, cops are killers. Cops are killing black people. Cops are killing minorities. Cops are the enemy. Cops are agents of the government. Talks, cops are glorified tax collectors. At the end of the day... That guy was not killed when, given the situation that was happening, he held two law enforcement officers hostage and shot six more. By all rights, lethal force would have been very justified at that point. Those officers showed a lot of restraint. There was actually a situation, while while we're on the subject, that just recently happened in Wahoo, Nebraska, which is the eastern part of the state. There was a man who... Uh, Wahoo Police was dispatched to this individual's house for a domestic dispute. This individual ended up getting in his semi-tractor, tried to run over a law enforcement officer who had to dive behind a tree in order to avoid being ran over, and this individual then backed out of that yard and ran over two police cruisers and ran the two cruisers and the semi into a yard and assaulted a police officer with a baseball bat. And not a single shot was fired during that incident. Again, another situation where uh, deadly force was very justified at that point. By running down that police officer in a semi, that's attempted murder. That is a deadly force assault that can be met with deadly force uh, to, to defend that officer's life. So the, the fact that people will uh, condemn cops for... for situations like that they it's it's clear that they don't understand how force is applied in law enforcement force is applied to gain compliance and it is what they use is what they call one plus one theory okay so you offer this level of resistance i'm going to use a level of control that is one step higher it's called the one plus one theory so if you're giving me verbal non-compliance for example i am going to use verbal direction you're not doing it. I'm telling you to do it. And then you you have it's use of force in itself is a science. You have uh, anybody that's interested, you can Google the use of force continuum, and it will give you a, a, a brief example of use of force, levels of resistance, and levels of control. So, a deadly force assault is the highest level of resistance, and that can be met with deadly force, which is the highest level of control. Understanding that, I think would and a lot of these kind of protests and stuff because they would they would more understand how force is applied and how force is trained to be used in law enforcement and corrections is the same way but then you know we've circled again back to education yeah. people need to be educated on on you know what and how okay there's a time to be non-compliant there's a time to be compliant i guess you know uh because I agree with everything you just said, but I guess my take is a little bit more harsh towards the public who participate in these protests, like the one we're talking about in Philadelphia. Now, I would, before I go off on a giant rant, I would love to talk to somebody from that neighborhood, that area, because obviously it's more of a rundown area of Philadelphia. 
and I would like to under, like understand where they're coming from. What details are the is the news not reporting since we know there's so much inconsistency that you guys are protesting? Because by the sounds of it, it sounds like that gentleman was very lucky to uh, escape with his life, and he didn't escape. But you know what I mean. He didn't get killed when he was like it, he had the recipe going for. For death, his, his, justifiably. His killing would have been justified by one. It, from the from the details we got, absolutely. But um, to me, it's just, I, and I don't even know if it's an education thing anymore. I don't even know if it's if it's people, you know, that just a misunderstanding. But uh, honestly, I think it's just a real cowardly thing from people in these areas who just want to condemn cops, and they'll go all day condemning cops because they will tell you, oh, cops are supposed to be uh, of, of higher morality but at the, at the same time people have pointed out over and over again they do not condemn the drug dealers not publicly like they do the cops and they turn a blind eye to you know gang members violence because at the end of the day the cops are held accountable not just by them but by their officials and you know by the taxpayers these gang members these drug dealers they're not held accountable by anybody except the cops so i don't know I, to me it's just it, it brings it stirs up a little anger in me well, it's kind of like uh, when you look at like mass shootings and, and gun violence in general. People don't blame the shooter; they blame the gun, you know. And at the end of the day, it's 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 nothing more than and we discussed this previously about you know it's more it's nothing more than just a tool to get a job accomplished. And there's and I feel like uh, me and Josh talked about this too about uh, during the Obama administration where it was it was such a big thing, and he constantly talked about how. Cops were constantly killing innocent individuals, and like like you stated, there's an escalation of force, and the same thing works in the military. You know, whether it be uh, as an MP, there's obviously escalation of force or uh, rules of engagement that that are that are set down prior to uh, anything being done. And like you said, it's the one, it's the plus one theory. Uh, you know, and that's it, it works exactly the same way, and that's that it goes back to that education where. Um, People don't understand because they, they haven't put themselves in that position or they, they haven't done their research about it. And uh, in my experience working with cops, uh, I worked retail for six and a half years and uh, I dealt with a lot of shoplifters and I actually got to know the police officers in my town very well. Um, I had their personal phone numbers actually because they said it was faster to call them than to call dispatch. It was kind of funny, but um, they're generally nice guys and they're not they're not going to be the first person to just pull out a gun and shoot somebody, you know. And I've, I've, I've had this conversation with multiple people. And like I said, you know, it, as, as a civilian, if my life's in danger it, and, it, and it comes down to him or me, it's going to be him. It's not going to be me. And and I know that, that a lot of people haven't been in that kind of a situation. I personally have not been in that situation, but I've had training to prepare myself for that situation. And that's and me and Josh talked about that in our podcast. And it was funny because there was a headline on Facebook about that where uh, – uh, Latinos in El Paso were taking more concealed carry classes after what happened in El Paso. And that, that goes back to that. It doesn't take much to educate yourself on exactly how things work and how the law works. And, uh, but then you get those guys, I'm sure you've dealt with them every now and again that, that think they know the law more than you do. And, uh, those are always the fun guys, right? (laughs) I've dealt with many people who believe that they know the law better than I do. And those, those, those ones are interesting because I'll be the first to admit, there's been a time where I've had to stop and I've had to go back and get on the internet and check a statute and check a law to make sure that I'm applying it correctly. I have no shame in that because that means that I'm making sure that I do my job correctly. But I've, I've also run into those that, that the I know my rights people. Most of the time, if you are saying I know my rights, in my personal experience, you generally have a very limited understanding of your rights, and please take a constitutional law class. It will help you in the long run. Let me ask you this. Have you ever ran into any of those people, like maybe on a simple traffic stop, who like to throw the excuse of, well, my tax dollars pay for this road, so what right do you have to pull me over? Oh, absolutely. Well, (laughs) I've, I've dealt with that, and my personal opinion is taxation is theft, but that's a conversation for another day. that's a whole another subject so uh would you consider would those kind of be like your uh, sovereign citizens as, as as you want to call them well I, the, the 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 free travelers and sovereign citizens they make me giggle because um you you do have a right to travel interstate without papers or or licensure to do so absolutely 
However, you don't have the right to do it while operating a motor vehicle if you don't have a license. The United States Constitution protects your right to own a firearm way more than it protects your right, to, your privilege to operate a motor vehicle. Um, and, and using that as an example is a very poor example because, quite frankly, you don't have the right as a quote-unquote free traveler to drive while doing it if you don't have a license. It so, is a self-correcting action is what I like to call that. So uh, just, just, just for your general opinion, um, what do you think about uh, the, the, the federal legalization of marijuana? What is your opinion on that? Well, as, as, a, as a public service agent, I will enforce the law as it is written, which means that marijuana in most states in this country and on the federal level are illegal, and the law should be enforced as such. However, on my personal opinion, I, I can't really speak as to my personal opinion. I haven't done that much research into the, the, the positive and the negative effects of it. Now, I understand, you know, that, that, that there, are, there are positives to it. You know, there's been studies done on it. And, and quite frankly, I, in my personal opinion, I think we have bigger issues to worry about than marijuana. So I, uh, I, uh, I recently attended a class with a, uh, a police officer from uh, Indianapolis and... We we kind of discussed the same thing, and and he he made the comment that he hopes they don't legalize it federally, and I and I was curious to this because a lot of people say that it would save a lot of problems. Like you said, we have bigger things to worry about than marijuana, but his his take on it is marijuana gives him because it's illegal, it gives him the opportunity to search because he has probable cause now. And do you think that 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 if they if they legalize marijuana, that would decrease the amount of drugs that are found? on a traffic stop in, involving drugs? Or do you think that at the end of the day, it's going to be one of the, it's going to come down to like, oh, okay, you, you have this much, I got to take it from you, but we can still let you go. Well, by that logic, I wouldn't write fix-it tickets anymore because if you have a taillight out, I have probable cause to stop you and make contact with you. So by that logic, I, I, I understand where he's coming from, but in my experience, if there's marijuana present in a vehicle, and it, and and you think that there's more than just marijuana present in that vehicle? There's going to be signs. There's going to be indicators. Um, and 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 quite frankly, generally when I make traffic stops and I notice stuff like that, I don't see, you know, how how we would identify it in a report as a green leafy substance. That's how I would identify it, a green leafy substance. I don't generally see that. I'll see a. A, uh, you know, a, a glass bulbous pipe, or I will see, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a bag with white residue, or I will see, you know, a, any number of things besides marijuana itself that, that will give me probable cause to initiate a search. Um, so in, in, my, in, in my opinion, his statement is factual, but it, again, I don't, I don't enforce the law in Indiana in any way so and and their their crime patterns might be different than what i'm used to but in the midwest especially in nebraska we we have more of a of a methamphetamine issue than we have any other issue yep we've covered that on uh, previous recordings now you and me both have um corrections level uh, with the state you know in prison and just so a lot of you viewers um, who have heard the words prison and jail used like they're the same, they're not. Uh, jail is uh, before trial and prison is uh, post-trial, just so you know. But anyway, now you have actual jail experience uh, yeah, in corrections. I, I have worked corrections on the pre-trial and post-trial level. Um, state prison and county jail levels both. Now, there's a big fear-mongering statement out there that, oh, our prison system is crowded with uh, guys who have been caught with marijuana. Now, I just want to know from your experience working the jail, how many guys were on there, like, in there strictly just for marijuana? That number is very low. Very, very low. Generally, there are other offenses, and the marijuana is discovered after the search. Um, if they're being arrested for just marijuana, believe you me, it's it's not a small baggie in their pocket. It's, you know, ounces, pounds, and at that point you're looking at, in this, at least in the state of Nebraska, you're looking at felony possession with intent to deliver because m marijuana is a Schedule One, I believe, controlled substance uh, that is listed by the federal government. Um, so any any kind of large volume is going to be 
uh, a possession with intent to deliver because that's that's the way the law is written. And generally, if if you have that much to get charged with that, you're most likely not smoking it all yourself. And that's what I mentioned in uh, in a previous conversation that when I worked in in the prison, there wasn't very many guys who were in strictly on marijuana charges. Most of the time, it was an added on charge. But um, the ones who were in for marijuana, they were dealing pounds and pounds of it and transferring it. And and but understand, my experience is 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 a focused experience inside the state of Nebraska. I okay. don't know. The East Coast, the West Coast, you know, the the the, you know, the South or anything. I I don't know their crime statistics. I don't work with that. So, this is just my experience in Nebraska. We don't have a lot of people that are in prison for strictly marijuana. And you know, honestly, I would guess that even on the East and West Coast, you wouldn't have too many guys in prison just for marijuana because they have a larger population than we do here in Nebraska. So they got much more crime than we do here in Nebraska. I would I would hire, find it very hard to believe that their court system would be entertaining cases strictly based on an ounce of weed found in someone's pocket. And, and sentencing them to the large amounts of now, prison time as a result. Exactly. One thing I did hear is that Florida, for the longest time, had very uh, strict marijuana laws. They would, You would spend the night in jail if you had a seat in your pocket. But from my understanding, most states are not like that. So to caveat on to that, um, and, and like I said, you know, a huge fan of live PD... How how uh, how how does it affect you when you pull somebody over? You're dealing with somebody, and they look, hey man, I, I got some weed on me. Like, and they're they're upfront from the like like you said, you're, nobody's gonna do prison time for you know a small baggie of weed that they're gonna go home and smoke, and they just happen to get pulled over because they have an out you know they have a tail light out. Like if somebody if, if you approach somebody and they're like, hey man, I got some weed on me, uh, you know how how do you, how would you handle that situation? Because obviously they're not gonna do prison time for that. But are you more inclined to work with them because they were honest, or are you, you know, for our, for our listeners because we people need to understand that 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 law enforcement officials are are people too, and they understand you know maybe you're just looking to have a good night, you know because we know that you know meth and coke you know that that's an automatic possession felony regardless of and I think that's across all states in the United States as far as I know, um, but obviously marijuana with the legalization in certain states, you know if if they get caught with a gram. You know, because they were gonna go home and smoke it. If they, if if they're if they're upfront with you from the very get go, how does that affect your like? How do you how does it, you as a, as a, as a law enforcement official, are you more inclined to cut them a break and just confiscate it and write them write them a ticket? Well, in the state of Nebraska, anything less than one ounce is labeled as an infraction. It's a ticketable offense, and depending on it, it it, it can be a jailable offense, but generally it's a, it's a citation. And you, you have a court date. It's a mandatory court date. You don't, you can't just pay a fine. You have to go to court on it. But it is there. Um, and, and, and so it, it really kind of takes my discretion out of it. If they have less than an ounce, they get a ticket. It gets confiscated. It gets logged into evidence and, and, and subsequently destroyed after the case is, is finished. After a certain amount of time, which varies by jurisdiction on how long they retain evidence. Um but when you start getting into the larger amounts, um, I mean, compliance is always is always a better route to go. I mean, non-compliance is going to be met with, you know, generally the appropriate amount of force. Um, but compliance, it, it it can help you more or less further along the line in the in the justice system. Um, you know, I, I know there are a lot of judges around that do take compliance into consideration when it comes to sentencing on, on a lot of things. That's not just marijuana. That That's on a lot of different things. Um, things are going to go a lot smoother if, you, if you're up front, especially if the officer has recognized it, if they detect, you know, an odor or, or you know, something was, you know, thrown out or, or you drop something as you're going to approach them. I mean, stuff like that is, is it, compliance is generally going to work in your favor. Um, if anything, it's, it's, I mean, I, I was raised in a way, you know, you be honest, you do, you do your thing and, and, and you pay the consequences and, you know, and it, it just surprises me how many people, you know, can, can live with themselves and live with their conscience with the things that they do. I mean, the long story short, if you own up to it, Things are gonna go smoother. It's it's human nature. If you if you're up front with me, I'm gonna be up front with you. So uh, 
I guess the last thing that, that just for our listeners' perspective, um, there's a lot of miscommunication with the um, with the two terms of one being arrested and two detaining somebody. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Okay. Um, if I if somebody's being placed under arrest, I have uh, what I have to do is in the state of Nebraska, at least, I feel I have to fill out a, a warrantless arrest affidavit, and that is basically where I state the facts of the case as I know them and why I am detaining them. Okay, or why, or excuse me, why I'm arresting them. Um, that goes to a judge. The judge reviews that, and if the judge reads that and says the evidence is insufficient to hold this person in jail, you, you're going to go free. Um, you know, you, you you will still have that charge, but um, you you won't sit in jail. Now, if the judge upholds it, that's where you'll you'll sit in jail. You'll be given a bond. You'll have a bond review, you know, hearing and stuff like that, and you can, you know, and then you have the, you know, then you're working from the other side of the justice system. Now, if I'm detaining somebody, there could be a situation where um, I come up to, it's like, I'll use a, dis- a domestic disturbance call. I get a, you know, a call from a concerned neighbor or something that, you know, I saw Joe hit Samantha across the street. They were standing in the front yard, they were yelling and screaming, and he backhanded her. Well, if I get up there and Joe's being non-compliant, I'm, I, there's a good chance that I might place Joe in handcuffs and say, "Look, I'm not arresting you yet, but I'm gonna I'm gonna detain you for now. I'm gonna restrain you for my safety, for your safety, and for everybody else's safety, while I sort this out." And there are situations where those handcuffs come off and they stay. You know, they they don't go to jail. It it just depends on the facts of the case, what's reported to me, how it's reported to me, and then it's handled from there. Um, the, if you're being detained, it doesn't mean that you're under arrest. Um, to be detained, you don't have to be charged. To be arrested, you have to be charged. I feel, I feel like that's a that's kind of uh, a lot. Of, a lot of people don't understand that the, the difference between having uh, military police experience and again, like having having that option to detain somebody and then when somebody's actually being arrested, that's a very good good way to look at it. Um, I've heard it worded several different ways, and that's probably the best that I've heard. Um, and P and, and you'll see that a lot if you, if you watch cops or you watch live PD or, um, any of those shows, you know, they'll, 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 they'll make, they'll, they'll make the, the, the comment, you know, as they're putting them in handcuffs, they're like, I'm just going to restrain you for my safety. Because again, as you stated earlier in the podcast, you don't know exactly if they have something in their waistband. You don't know, you know, you don't know what their intentions are. They've generally shown a pattern of non-compliance or violence. If it, it, like you said, if you're, if you're at a domestic call and that's one of those things is, you know, if someone, especially if they're intoxicated, that 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 raises a, a whole nother, uh, a whole nother uh, distraction you got to worry about, and uh, your safety obviously is priority. But it's it's one of those things. A lot of people get that confused. You know, they'd be like, "Well, if you're gonna arrest me, arrest me for something." Well, you're not necessarily being arrested. I'm just detaining you because I don't know what you're gonna do to her if she starts yelling at you. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess that would be my question: If somebody refuses to be detained, what's the next step? Um. At that point, it, there there's a lot of things. Um, g- generally, a charge like that can can be labeled as as obstructing a peace officer or obstruction of justice. Um, if if you if you do anything that impedes my ability to do my job effectively, you can be charged with obstruction of justice. Um, you know that that there can you know there's a lot of different things that that qualify as obstruction and 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 as far as that goes, I highly encourage anybody. Um, and everybody, for a matter of fact, because you do have constitutional rights. Most community colleges offer a constitutional law class. I highly encourage everybody to take it because it, it gives you, when you have a better understanding of, of how this, how the justice system works, you can, it, it, it can make for a smoother path through the justice system, assuming that you end up in it. Um, you know, there you have a lot of rights. You know, you have your Fourth Amendment right to unreasonable search and seizure, etc. There, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but refusing to be detained, you're, you're probably generally going to be charged with obstruction of justice. Um, at very minimum, probably disturbing the peace, depending on what you do. There's, there's a lot that goes into it. It's, I don't have the time to sit here and explain every situation. No, hundred percent, right? we get that. I do have a, I do have a question for you. I had a, I had a buddy tell me about a story. Um, he was stopped by another agency, um, and he was, they had beer in the trunk of the car. Now, granted, he was driving a car. There were six people in the car, so which tells me there's already a seatbelt infraction because mm-hmm. six people aren't going to wear a seatbelt. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But they got pulled over. The police asked to search the vehicle. He told them no. They searched the vehicle. Apparently, they, they had probable cause to do so. But they dumped all the beer out. And he asked me from a military police standpoint why somebody would do that. And the only reason I could come, the only reason I could come up with is, at least the way that I would look at it, is there was only one person that was 21 years of age in the vehicle at the time. So one out, one out of six people were old enough to consume that beer. And when you're hauling three 24 packs of beer in the trunk of the car, obviously somebody's contributing to the delinquency of a minor. How would you have handled that situation? Well, <laughs> that that's going to depend on a lot of questions that I ask and a lot of answers that are given to me. Um, that can be a whole the whole number of different things. Um, you know, in, in a situation like that, there's a very real possibility that the five minors could have been charged with minor in possession and the one that was overage would have been charged with uh, contributing to the delinquency of a minor, possibly up to five counts, depending on on the situation. Um, I don't know, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into there. I don't know if they were given citations or, or anything like that. You know, sometimes a law enforcement officer can use their discretion and, and confiscate without ticketing. Um, that That's going to be a departmental policy on how they do that. That's that's a you know a, a, there's too many too many variables there for me to give an accurate uh, a, you know opinion as to why it was handled that way. I completely understand. Well, that's all I got for you tonight. Um, Josh, you got anything else for him? Uh, the only thing is uh, when we were in corrections, we had an old saying that we would say, and uh, I would like to know if you would like to recite it to our viewers when dealing with those. When dealing with those with no remorse, here's, here's to, to a, a good, good use, use of force. force. <laughs> I like that. That's a good way to look at things. Well, Ridge, I appreciate you for uh, coming out and doing this with us. Uh, I appreciate you having me. It was uh, fun. Hopefully we'll have you back. Uh, I, anytime. Maybe we'll jump down the rabbit hole next time and talk about some... Taxation. Yeah, some taxation <laughs> and uh, see how that goes. But again, for our, for our listeners out there, if you have any questions or comments, uh, you can email us at uh, midwestmindmelt at gmail.com. Uh, until next time, thanks for uh, listening. How do I control money? Envelopes. The first of the month, I divide up my cash. One for groceries, one for gas, one for fun. It helps plan out my spending. And that's how we came up with digital envelopes for your checking account. Our customers give us the best ideas. Huntington, welcome. Welcome to Tim Hortons. Thanks. I'll have... A pumpkin spice latte? How'd you know? Oh, was it my pumpkin earrings? Yeah, maybe. Or is it my pumpkin hat? That's a great hat. Oh, is it my ringtone? It's pumpkin spice time! Yep, bingo. It's pumpkin spice time now at Tim Hortons. Indulge in a creamy pumpkin spice latte or a sweet and cold pumpkin spice iced cap. Pumpkin spice beverages are back now at Tim Hortons. Limited time only at participating restaurants. Pumpkin spice time.